the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do here every day at 4 o'clock is take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or life questions. We've had some questions sent in. Remember, we always prioritize your phone calls just because you're more interesting than I am. To call, dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Let's go to Charles on line one. And Charles, before um, I say anything to you, let me apologize. That was where I was going to start the program and I was grateful when you called. Uh, For some reason, your call didn't pop up on our screen here uh, at the church studio. So I know you were holding for a long time, and thank you for being patient, and thank you for calling back. Oh, yeah, it's no problem. I just got a question. Thank you, uh, I noticed that... Uh, uh, men's retreat. Uh-huh. Your men's retreat this, this, yes. this coming weekend, and uh-huh. I was going to wonder, uh, how often do y'all do that? Charles, we do it once a year. Um, We have some men that would like it. We we have some men that would like it more often, and the same is true with the ladies' retreat. Um, But the honest truth is we have just gotten so busy. I never wanted to be sort of an event church, and we have just been so busy that we couldn't possibly do it more than once a year. But it's really special. Um, uh, You're invited if you'd like to come. We'd love to have you. It's this weekend. Our retreats are Thursday through Saturday about noon, so they start Thursday night about 8 o'clock. And um, we'll be done Saturday about noon. That way everybody's back for church. And uh, we're really expecting, as is always the case, for the Lord to uh, to, to really meet people. So uh, we would love for, for, for you to come. Anybody that wants to join, don't worry if you don't know anybody. Um, all you have to do is show up and you'll be a stranger for about two minutes. And uh, I'm sure the Lord would be pleased. Does that help you, Charles? Yes, sir, it does. Thank you. Oh, God bless. Again, our men's retreat is this coming week, Thursday, uh, until uh, Saturday about noon. Um, 
this week, yeah, this weekend, what did I say, this week from Thursday through Saturday, uh, at Camp Buckner in Burnett, Texas. And, you know, the forecast here and there is for some rain, so um, might as well spend some time in the rain with Jesus. It is always, always a great time. Again, Charles, I'm really sorry that we left you on hold so long yesterday, but we just didn't see it. 340-9585, here is our first question today from our email inbox from Kevin. He says, hello, Pastor Ron, in Genesis chapter 3, we read about Adam and Eve being removed from the garden. God sets up a cherubim and flaming sword to protect the tree of life. When God instructed them that they could eat of any tree in the garden but the tree of knowledge, I assume this means that they could eat from the tree of life before the fall. Do you agree? Uh, also, later when Noah was told to leave the ark, he was told they could eat of any animal but could not eat the lifeblood. It seems that at creation and then again after the flood, God gave very specific instructions about what could be eaten. Would you please help me to understand the significance? Thank you in advance. Kevin, I can do that. Um, I have another question about the tree of knowledge that I'll get to in a moment right after this one, Kevin. But, but I want to make sure everybody understands it's not the tree of knowledge. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, up until the time that Adam was disobedient, uh, Adam and Eve knew only good. And God wanted to shield them from the tree of evil. Now, he gave them a choice, and their obedience or disobedience would reflect the choice that they made. But this was not ever just the tree of knowledge. Uh, My other question is, Um, about why would God not want them to have knowledge. No, God wanted mankind only of the knowledge of that which is good and not that which is evil. And God also obviously knew that evil would uh, would enter into the scene upon disobedience. And, of course, that's been our curse ever since. So, Kevin, uh, for that part of the question, I just want to make a distinction. It's not the tree of knowledge. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. With regard to the tree of life, yes, that was a tree that was given to them uh, so that they could live forever. They were they were to live eternally. Um, and, and had God not set up a cherubim to protect the tree of life, then they could have lived forever in their sin. And that's why the cherubim was sent to protect it. Nobody wants to live forever in sin. And uh, that was the case. So, uh, yes, they were able to eat from the tree of life before the fall. And uh, you are right about that. Now, about Noah. Uh, in Genesis 8, we, we learn that when uh, they're about to leave the ark, God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And he says that I've given them uh, everything that I've had there. Uh, all of it is food for you. Uh, but then he cautioned about not eating the blood or eating an animal with the lifeblood in it. In other words, not eating it raw. That's later how animals would do it. But mankind, he said, don't eat the blood. And and the reason to do that, and remember, he, he gave specific instructions then. He would later give instructions to his people, the Jews, through the law about clean and unclean foods. But he would always keep the consistency of not eating uh, food with the blood in it or with the lifeblood in it. And the reason is that blood is to give life. And this is a picture, of course, of the blood that would save. And that typology is very important to God, and that's why he preserved it. So, again, he gave specific instructions uh, to, to you and to me, Kevin, the instructions so we can eat anything. Um, it, it's okay to have a, a medium rare steak, but the idea here is uh, all food has been pronounced clean since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So thank you very, very much. The other question that I had regarding, let me see if I can find it real quickly. Um, Oh, come on. Okay, it was from Nancy. So Nancy, uh, I wanted to to address your question. Uh, Why would God not want Adam and Eve to gain knowledge when he told them not to eat the fruit? of that tree. Again, it wasn't knowledge. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, the, the, the answer to Kevin was pretty much the same. God wanted us only to have a knowledge of that which is good. So Nancy and Kevin, I hope that answers your question. 
Here is a question from our email inbox from Dorothy. Dear Pastor Ron, how grateful I am for your ministry and that Paula prayed all those years and now look at the beautiful ministry. Thank you, Dorothy, for that. I heard one of your callers a few days ago from Lake Hills. It reminded me that I heard of Calvary Lake Hills. I'm not sure of the exact name, but is there a church near Rural Pipe Creek, Lake Hills, or Bandera that is associated with you guys? Thanks. I'll try to be listening when you answer. Uh, And then she says, P.S. Great Monday program. Congratulations to you and Paula for your anniversary. God is good. He's good to me, Dorothy, that's for sure. Um, Dorothy, I'm I'm hopelessly lost when I get to all these small towns in Texas. So uh, I'm not sure of the geography well enough to know uh, if the church that was spoken of in Lake Hills is uh, uh, um, near Pipe Creek or Bandera. I do know that the, that we have a church in Helotes. Um, um, Pastor Roy there is a dear friend of mine and a good guy. It's, it's a church that you might remember was on the news um, quite a bit uh, a year or so ago. Uh, their church had just burned down. And it was on all of the news, and Roy was interviewed by the by the reporters. Um, but they are in the in the Helotes area, um, which is of course near uh, Bandera. But I don't really know where Pipe Creek is or Lake Hills. Um, but but it's it's close. Right. My producer's telling me that it's close to to there. So uh, that's one that I can recommend. It's a small church. They're getting rebuilt after the fire. Uh, but uh, Pastor Roy Rohirio uh, is his name. Best thing about Roy is his wife, Tina. And um, uh, you will be blessed with their love and their friendliness. Roy has one of the truly the best laughs that you're ever going to hear. And he uses it a lot. So, Dorothy, thank you for your kind words. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Matthew. He says, I have two questions about communion. How often should it be served at church? And why do some Christians believe the bread and cup actually becomes Jesus' body and blood? Uh, Matthew, the Bible doesn't tell us how often to serve communion at church. It says when you serve it or when you receive it, we are to remember. It's a, it's a memoriam that goes into the second question I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, We do it here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio uh, the first Sunday of every month. I know some churches that do it on their midweek services, but communion is so important to me that um, uh, I wouldn't want uh, the the larger number of people in our church. Of course, that's Sunday attendance. I wouldn't want them to miss it. So we always fit it in uh, on the first Sunday of every month. I think it's that important. In fact, let me tell you how important it is to me, Matthew. Uh, we've been here for almost 24 years, and um, I've never missed a communion Sunday with my church. Not ever. And um, my church knows that if I miss a communion Sunday, something's really, really wrong. So uh, I hold communion uh, in that kind of esteem. Now, why do some Christians believe that the bread and the cup actually become Jesus' body? The, the answer is because of tradition. It's what the tradition of their churches or denominations have taught, uh, whether it's consubstantiation or transubstantiation. It is um, doctrinally their belief that uh, there is something that happens, that Jesus is actually in the, in the bread um, or in the cup, and, and that's how you commune with him. Rather than communing with him in fellowship day after day or communing with him in prayer, you commune with him through the elements. Now, to say that the bread becomes the body of Christ uh, is is really nonsensical. Again, I understand how how tightly some hold to traditions, but Jesus was clearly spa- speaking symbolically. In fact, in, in the case in the upper room, this is my body broken for you. He was still in his body. So he was really telling them prophetically about what was going to happen to him. These are the disciples that he loves. He said, I've told you everything, at least what you can bear to hear. Now I'm going to die. So when you see my body broken, I'm doing this for you. So it's more like previews of coming attractions, Matthew. 
And uh, it's it's not a heretical view. I think it is wrong, and I think it can sometimes lead to a false sense of of uh, experience with God. Um, people take communion when they're really not living their lives for the Lord and, and to think, well, I'm okay because I took Jesus' body or I drank Jesus' blood. It's to miss the point completely of communion. Communion is just that moment when we remember. Jesus said, remember my death until I come again. So it's a memorial service, but we do it because it's a wonderfully joyous memorial service. But but the, the cracker and the cup do not, Matthew, become the body or the blood of Christ. Symbolizes it, but does not become Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is Chris on line one from San Antonio. Chris, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Howdy, Pastor. Um, just calling today to find out how would one go about becoming associated as a pastor with Calvary churches or becoming ordained by Calvary churches. Okay. Uh, Chris, if you're in if you're in uh, South Texas, uh, that would have to come through me. Um, what we've done as a group of churches, and there's like 1,500 of us, um, we've broken it up to just just to make the the fellowship process and the affiliation process a little more um, um, easy to manage. We've broken it up into geographical regions, and I'm actually the Calvary Chapel regional guy here in in South Texas. I have everything from uh, Austin South, um, that includes into um, northern Mexico. Uh, and if you would want to uh, affiliate with us, if you, you, you pastor a church, um, what you do is you contact me. You can do that by um, using the questions at calvarysa.com email address. Uh, let us know that you're interested. We will contact you. We'll send you uh, a packet of information that will um, um, sort of let us find out a little bit about you. Uh, what we're looking for is people that doctrinally are Calvary Chapel, people that, that uh, in what we consider the distinctives of Calvary Chapel, not essentials of our faith, but distinctives of Calvary Chapel, um, verse-by-verse teaching, um, um, some other doctrines that I would explain. Uh, just, just contact us, and we would do that. And Chris, if you're in an area that is underserved, uh, we would be really interested in in planning a church. So um, just let us know. I think I have about uh, four Calvary chapels right now that are going through the affiliation, affiliation process uh, in, in the region that I oversee. And um, um, there's still time before Jesus comes. So if you feel called to do that, let us know. Hope that helps. Does that answer your question? Chris is not on the line now. Thank you, Chris. I hope that, that helps. Here is a question from Mike. What's so is Tony Evans' ministry a safe one to listen to? Uh, Mike, not only is it a safe one to listen to, it is a, a, a blessed work of God. Um, uh, Tony Evans is um, a, a godly man, a great preacher, um, but more than a preacher. And he does preach, but more than a preacher, he's a great Bible teacher. Uh, he's a man who has uh, been in ministry for um, I think he told I, I think I heard he was 70 years old. Um, he's been in the, the the South Dallas area, uh, Oak Cliff, I think, is the name of the area that he's in for a very very long time. His ministry has not experienced a hint of scandal. Uh, I've never heard him teach anything heretical. He is uh, a preacher in, a, in the in the classic Baptist sense, uh, where he is going to preach topical messages or series of messages rather than go verse by verse through the Bible. But believe me, when you've sat under Tony's teaching, you have learned um, solid doctrine. You've learned great application. Uh, and I just have nothing but uh, but uh, good things to say about uh, Tony Evans and his ministry. Uh, he's also one that has a very big YouTube presence, and um, he's worth listening to, Mike. So whether it's on the radio or YouTube, yes, he is absolutely worth listening to. I sometimes 
He's been there for over 40 years. Um, um, I, I have a hard time sleeping at night. And uh, what I'm about to say is a little embarrassing. But because I have a hard time sleeping at night, I know he comes on at 3.30 in the morning on one of our local stations because that's when I'm able to listen to him while I'm trying to get back to sleep. So, Mike, I hope that helps. But, but yes, 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 uh, I, I can recommend him highly. Andrea says, Pastor Ron, as a woman called to ministry, what roles are available to me? I understand that only men can be pastors. Andrea, you're right. Only men are called to be pastors. Only men are called into church leadership. Uh, as narrow-minded as that sounds, we're not the ones who made the rules. Jesus made the rules. It's his church. And these rules or guidelines are a result of the fall. A consequence. It wasn't what God intended, uh, but when man sinned, um, God says to establish order, this is how I'm going to do it. This whole idea of submission is really important. It takes great faith to submit to authority. Um, I tell my ladies here at our church all the time, ladies, it takes great faith to submit to your leadership, to the leadership of your husbands. And I always tell them, because I know most of your husbands, I know how hard it is. And that always gets a chuckle, but it's true. And yet God says, as a result of the fall, his design for the church is male headship. The only other place is in the home. Every place else, there's no difference in men and women. The only difference is in roles, and those roles are assigned by God himself. So as a woman called to ministry, what role is available to you? Uh, Teaching is a wonderful gift. If that's what you're talking about uh, as your call to ministry, um, Andrea, teaching is a wonderful gift. Titus 2 says the older women should teach the younger women. Uh, In most churches, there are women's ministries, and women need other women who can teach them sound doctrine and solid Bible application uh, and and encourage and exhort other women and the gift of teaching is one of the ways that you can do that. So if, if that's what you're talking about uh, as a call to ministry teaching there is a bunch of ministry available to you in small groups or larger groups. Uh, we actually have quite large groups here of women who meet on Monday nights we have a group here, uh, Andrea, of, uh, I think, seven women who uh, take rotations in the uh, teaching ministry w- with women. And I couldn't do without any of them. Um, counseling is another role that is available to you. Um, and it is also a teaching ministry. It's just usually one-on-one or one-on-two. So there's all kinds of things that you can do. Um, Andrea, teaching um, in in children's church is um, an invaluable ministry. Uh, The the lady who has been the head of our children's ministry here for the last 23 years has been doing it. And as we all get a little bit older, what she's done is she's raised up uh, just an incredible group of men and women, but lots and lots of women who are following in the, the footsteps of her example. So there's lots of things that you can do. If you're called to be a teacher, teaching children is a, a priceless source of experience. Um, it's humbling, but it also teaches you to say things simply and plainly. Uh, you get questions that you really have to dig into your Bibles to answer. So there's all kinds of teaching ministries that are available to you. Uh, As I said, I don't know what I would do without the ladies who teach here. We have um, some home Bible studies, women's home Bible studies um, in the daytime. We've got the the ladies' studies at night, uh, and lots and lots of counseling goes on as well. So, Andrea, believe me, there is plenty to keep you very, very busy. Um, Because only men can be pastors... um, that's the way it should be. That's the rule that Jesus set up. But it does not in any fashion or form diminish the the uh, important role, the critical role that women have, even in the teaching ministries. You know, one of the things, let me also say this. Um, sometimes we look at only public teaching platforms as ministry. 
nothing could be farther from the truth. When you go to church, Andrea, uh, next Sunday, look around at the people that you're sitting close to. Ask God to open their hearts and yours to give you the discernment. Who needs help? Who's hurting? There are so many opportunities sitting right next to you in church. Again, that you'd never lack for any opportunity to minister. So uh, if you're called to, to a teaching ministry, God bless you. Pursue it with all of your heart. Andrea, fall in love with your Bible. Devour it. Don't just study commentaries or other books devour your Bible, get to know it and here's what I tell the people in our pastor's discipleship class all the time always think New Testament, whenever you see uh, an example of something going on right or wrong, think New Testament where's the biblical basis for that if you see somebody who is hurting think New Testament, what am, what am I to do if you see somebody who's sort of complaining about things think New Testament, what does the New Testament tell you to do if the New Testament becomes your frame of reference I promise you, I promise you, God will use you in unbelievable ways. Hope that helps, Andrea. We have 30 minutes left in the Tuesday program. We would love your live calls and questions at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back thanks for returning to the program uh here is our first question Uh, actually this is sort of related to andrea's question a moment ago this is from rachel she said pastor on if women are not supposed to be leaders in the church why are there many churches who do have female leadership and female pastors rachel the reason churches do things that god tells them not to do is your guess your guess is as good as mine um we're rebels by nature uh, we want what we want, and, um, you know, Paul couldn't make it any more clear. Uh, the context is exactly what he's talking about, order in the church. This is how we are establishing churches. Timothy, do these things. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. It's that simple. It wasn't cultural. It's the references back to Genesis. But here's the thing. We do what we want instead of what God wants us to do. And just like everything else, when we don't like something the Bible says, we start to um, look for loopholes. Well, I feel like God was called back. They had a, a, a woman who was quite angry with me one time. She was a pastor. She called herself a pastor. And she said to me, and, and she said, I know what you teach because she listened to this program. Uh, she actually caught me at the gym. She said, I know what you teach, but... God called me to be a pastor, and I'm a pastor. And I said, well, I guess we'll just disagree. And she looked at me with real anger, and she said, well, I think if God could trust a woman to have to, to be the mother of his son, then he could trust a woman to be the pastor of a church. And, and you see, it's those kind of emotional arguments that make no sense and have no merit whatsoever. Um, God couldn't have chosen the man to be the mother of his son, And in the same way, God doesn't choose women to be pastors of churches. Now, I know there are women pastors who listen to this program. um, But here's the thing, and and there's no way to exegete that passage. If you have the gift of teaching woman pastor, there's no way to exegete that passage other than to just discard it altogether. Well, God didn't mean what he said. What other things in the Bible did he say that he didn't mean? If you don't submit to the authority of your husband in your home, or if you usurp the authority that's given to a man to pastor a church or be a leader in a church, how do you deal with people who also throw out parts of the Bible they don't like? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. 
Well, if somebody says, well, but I want to, they're going to do it. And the reason is we're rebels, Rachel. So let me say this really clearly. If you are in a church with a woman pastor, you do not have a pastor called by God. It doesn't mean she's not saved. It doesn't mean that God, because he loves the people in the church, won't bless a little bit. But it means that you're settling for less than God's best. You're, you're actually in direct violation of the rules that he established for his church. And I can never understand, Rachel, why women, or anybody else for that matter, wants to settle for less than God's best. Doesn't mean they're not gifted as teachers. It doesn't mean they're not walking with the Lord. It just means that as it relates to their calling, they're doing what seems right to them, which is the theme of the book of Judges. You can look at the mess that was made then. And I don't know how any church as a woman pastor is going to explain to God why they didn't take him at his word. I, I think we just don't think about that. We live in a time where Women are pressing for equal rights, and they should have them in this world. No woman should ever be discriminated against because she's a woman. However, when God says, it's my church, bought and paid for with my blood, here are the rules. When we call him Lord, when we know that we're called to be servants, how do we then explain not following those rules? You see, we cease to be servants the minute that's the case. So, Rachel, it's just rebellion. We do it all the time. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Doesn't mean God doesn't love them. Doesn't even mean that he's not using them a little bit. But it does mean that the people in that church are getting ripped off. Let me make one other comment, and then I'll hopefully leave this subject. This does not mean that I think I'm better than a woman or smarter or more spiritual than a woman. The godliest woman I know lives in my house. When I grow up, I want to be like her. But she can't be the pastor. And you'd be amazed how many times she's called Pastor Paul, and every time she stops, people say, no, I am just the pastor's wife, because this is Jesus' churches. Jesus' church, rather. Here is a question from Anonymous. Um, he or she says, not a Bible question, but wondering what your position is on the national anthem protests. Um, Anonymous, I, I'm really, I don't have a position. It doesn't affect me. I stand for the national anthem. Um, you know, a thousand years ago when I was a hippie anti-war protester because I didn't want to be drafted in the Vietnam War, um, I wouldn't stand I was a young, foolish kid that had no understanding of how blessed we are in this country. But I'll say only this. The only problem I have with it, we live in a country, by the way, where they're free to do that. Uh, I don't believe they're free to do it at work. I wouldn't want one of my pastors misrepresenting me. Um, there would be a consequence to that. Um, but, but here's my problem. While we have the right to protest, a right that's very important to the foundation of this country, we don't have the right to protest without facing the consequences. Here's the problem. We've got these professional football players who many of them are making multiplied millions of dollars um, and if it's important enough for them to protest, if they want to take a stand, then they should be willing to accept the consequences for that stand. And this is one of the things that's, that's I think, weakened the church. When we feel like we're taking a stand and then we suffer consequences, we, we, we scream victim or persecution, when people took a stand in the early church, sometimes they died. And every one of us has the right and the freedom to protest things. But especially as Christians, we have to do the protest in a godly way, remembering always who we represent. 
and then understanding that sometimes, in fact, most of the time, it's going to cost us something. That means we have no right to grumble and complain about the cost. What I see is a bunch of football players who want to protest, but when they're told that if they protest, they're not going to play, or when they protest, they're going to not be on a particular team, they scream discrimination, or they scream that, that they're victims, instead of saying, you know what, if that's what it costs to stand for what I believe, I'm willing to pay. And that's the biggest problem I have. So other than that, I don't really have a position on it. Uh, Paul and I might talk about these things at home, but my responsibility publicly is to represent Jesus Christ, and I try to only take positions that are his. So uh, I think that's a biblical position. If we take a stand for something that means something to us, uh, then whatever it costs us to do so ought to be worth it. Here is a question from Mark. Let me get the number, phone number again. 340-9585. We're still early enough in the second half of the program to get some calls. Mark says, I know you've addressed this before, but there continues to be a lot of division regarding the social gospel and whether or not it should be taught in church. John MacArthur just came out with a strong anti-social justice message. Would you explain your position? Mark, I don't have a position on this either, and here's why I don't have a position. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's a pastor's job. John MacArthur, I think, by advocating a, a, a strong anti-social justice message is shortcoming or, or shorting his flock because he ought to be teaching them the Bible. I don't know why we live in a culture where everybody with a pulpit and a microphone feels like they have to take a stand against the things that are going on in this world. We are to stand with Jesus. We're to stand for Jesus. Now, when we do that, there's going to be a lot of difficulty. But my job isn't to protest racism. I get a chance to teach about that a lot when I'm going through the Bible, verse by verse. My stand isn't to go on a crusade against sex trafficking. My stand isn't to, to, to go on the Internet and start a petition against the use of plastic straws. When I'm behind that pulpit, I stand with and for Jesus and Him alone. Now, let me say one other thing. There's a lot of injustice in the world that we live in. Even here in the United States, there is a lot of injustice. The way to address that injustice is to change hearts. We're not going to change minds. We're not going to win debates, but to change hearts. And here's where I think MacArthur Mark has really made uh, an error. Uh, I don't disagree that we shouldn't proclaim the social justice gospel. Um, but, but what I disagree with is that we should spend our time proclaiming the gospel of Christ and then using the word of God that's given to teach people how to work. Now, if every church, every pastor will do only what God has called them to do, and believe me, he hasn't called any pastor to, to alleviate or, or even hopefully eliminate the social evils in this world. He said, in this world, there's going to be this kind of injustice. We live in a fallen world. But if the pastor will do what God has told him to do, there's a lot of social issues that get resolved. And I'll just use my church, March, Mark, as an example. Um, we don't go on a, uh, a rant about the poor and addressing poverty or eliminating poverty. But you know what God does? He asks us to do everything free. So poor people benefit. I'm one of those poor people, by the way. We benefit. We have a free school. I can't imagine any Christian church charging kids and families to, to have their kids come to a school. I, I don't, I just don't get it. I, I think it's very small faith, so we do that. We also have a, a free family practice doctor's office. We've seen well over 20,000 patients in our five and a half or so years that we've been open. 90% of those people are not from our church. Now, our church has the ability to go to, to the doctor here as well, but, but most of those people come from word of mouth, and they're, they're just poor people looking for a doctor that will take care of them and do so lovingly and respectfully. The only thing that we let them know, you're going to hear the gospel, and you're going to get prayed for here. 
and people get saved there virtually on a daily basis. Not every day, but, but most of the time, people get saved. So God can take care of poor people who don't have insurance, and he's got wonderful doctors and a staff of nurses here that, that do that. So if churches would say, okay, Jesus, it's your church, what do you want to do? A lot of these social issues will be taken care of. So, Mark, that's my position on those things. My position is for Jesus. Let's go to Austin now and talk with Emily. Emily, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a couple of questions um, that maybe you can get to. Um, the first one, and they're kind of related, the first one is um, how do you read and interpret and apply the uh, Old Testament to our lives today? Um, I ask that because I, um, I typically try to think context, 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 and then mm-hmm. um, in a Bible study that I lead, people, you know, quote, oh, you know, they're claiming, you know, Jeremiah, tw- Jeremiah 2011 for them, and, and, I, and in my mind, I really don't really say anything to them, but in my mind, I'm thinking if you claim Jeremiah 2911, you're going to need to claim Jeremiah 2917, just a few <laughs> Verses later, uh, which isn't so lovely and beautiful. Uh, so how? But I may be completely wrong. I don't know. I, I'm open to being completely wrong on that. Um, and even many times in the Psalms, I read how you know God is protecting His people, His people, and um, will you know? And in my mind, it seems to me that He's protecting His people because He's going to send Jesus through His people, and He's protecting the, his people to be who, who is going to bless the world with Jesus. Um, so that's one thing. And then the next okay. question is uh, what, and in light of that also, what is sin? If someone says, you know, I did not sinning because I didn't, you know, break a Ten Commandment, or, and really the Ten Commandments were really for a, in a covenant with the Jewish people, with the Israelites. Um, however, you know, I know that think many of them, all of them, that uh, the Sabbath is repeated in the New Testament. Uh, but even before the, uh, the Mosaic Covenant and the law was given, people sinned. So yep. how does that all work? So there's my question. Emily, thank you very much. And let me, let me just share, I'm smiling from ear to ear because um, uh, you, you clearly have been given the gift to teach. Um, we've had a couple of questions about that today, and this is this is such an important role. And your approach to the scriptures uh, is is the proper approach. It's the thoughtful approach. And so, thank you, thank you, thank you for rightly dividing the word of God. Um, let me take the second question first, just because it's easier, and I want to spend a little more time with the first question. Um, um, sin is missing the mark. Um, Jesus said that that we're to walk in holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Um, Holiness has to be a priority. So anything that we do, willfully or inadvertently, uh, with knowledge or, or without knowledge, anything we do that falls short of God's standard for living is sin. It's to miss the mark. And that's why I love it that we're told that, that we have an advocate when we sin, the man Christ Jesus, whoever lives to intercede for us. Um, um, so we, we don't have to be lost or have fellowship broken in that sin. So sin is just missing the mark. That's why we have to, according to 1 John 1, 9, confess our sins so God can cleanse us from all sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, our fellowship can be restored instantly. So that's what sin is. Uh, and, and sin has always been the world. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that, and, and beyond in Romans that, that sin has always been the world and, and death has always been the world because the wages of sin is death. But in Christ, we don't have to remain in that position. So very, very important. Sin is just missing. It's not violating a, a, a commandment. It's, it's falling short. I love the Sermon on the Mount in particular, Emily, because on the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus raising the stakes really, really high. Uh, you've heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, 
And then he goes behind the letter of the law, he goes beyond the letter of the law to the intent of the spirit of the, of, of the law. But I say unto you, you shall not look at a woman with lust. If you do, you've already committed adultery. And he goes through this whole process, and, and it was such a radical message. So uh, he's opening their eyes to sin. They thought by doing stuff, they were somehow justified. And Jesus is basically saying, you can't do the stuff you need to do. The standard of heaven is perfection. Aim for perfection, Paul says, and that's what we should do. And when we fall short, then we ought to confess. Instead of rationalizing it or, well, you know, we all sin, that doesn't make it okay. We fall short. Very important. Now, relative to your first question, um, if you want an example of how we can apply the Old Testament to New Testament Christians, um, Emily, if you get an opportunity, live stream uh, our Bible study tomorrow night. This is a perfect example. We're in the um, second part of, uh, I think it's Second Samuel chapter 19 tomorrow. Uh, and, and it is nothing but application for New Testament Christians. And New, the Old Testament is a, is a, is a, a sort of a connect-the-dots book. What you have as children, you connect the dots, and there'd be an outline. The New Testament fills in the outline. But there are so many pictures. Paul says that those Old Testament stories were written as examples for us, that we can learn what to do or what not to do. And tomorrow night's Bible study, you can go to calvarysa.com and watch it live stream. Uh, tomorrow, and it's on, you know, we keep it on on, on the, the website, so if you can't make it tomorrow night, that's okay. But um, uh, it, it's, it's, I love teaching the Old Testament. There's so much application. It is so rich in application that it means means a lot to us. Now, the reason I knew and was smiling that you you're, have the gift to teach is because you are understanding the word in context. It frustrates me to no end when people claim Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. Uh, and everybody knows it. It's on plaques. It's on refrigerator magnets. But people don't care about the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. And we lose the, 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 the sight of, of who God is speaking to and what the circumstances of that speaking is. Jeremiah is a, a prophet uh, in a time of captivity. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were counterparts, and um, or contemporaries, rather. Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem um, um, to, to proclaim God's word. Ezekiel is taken into captivity into Babylon, and they see uh, unbelievably difficult things. And, and God's word to Jeremiah is, look, you're going to see these things. Nobody's going to listen to you, but take heart. I know the plans I have for you. That's not a personal promise. It's the plans he has for Israel. And you're right. The Christ is going to come, and there's going to be a day when he's going to sit on the throne of his father David, and everything will be as it should be. But to claim those promises in the Old Testament individually as promises to us is to really do a poor job of exegeting our Bibles. Um, every National Prayer Day that we have every year, um, the, the, the Chronicles passage, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, he's not talking to us. Now, there's principle there and there's application there, but to claim that as a National Day of Prayer promise to the United States really demonstrates uh, the biblical ignorance that we have in our church culture. So you keep reading and studying the way you are, and you keep standing up saying, no, that's not a promise for us. Read it. It sounds good. We love it. But um, that's a story. It's a history lesson, too. And we need to understand the history and understand in context. The reason it's so important, especially with the prophets, is because Jesus will later quote many of those prophets and apply those promises that were made to Israel. And he will apply them that he's the fulfillment of those promises. And they're going to reject him, of course, but, but he's still there in fulfillment of those promises. So, Emily, great, great, great comments. I'd love to meet you sometime just to hug you and say thank you for that. 
got about three minutes left in the program. Let me see. Um, oh, here's one I like. This is from Kelvin. Um, Pastor Ron, would you comment on youth ministry programs and the best way to reach younger, the younger generation? Kelvin, I'd be happy to. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'll take this to the end of the program. Um, I detest the Western cultural concept of entertaining children just to get them in church. Um, we got to have a cool room with beanbag chairs and sofas. we got to have air hockey machines. Uh, I detest that. It's, it's insulting to, to our youth. Um, I, I don't know how we ever got to this place. I really don't. We don't want to be the cool kids on the block. We want to be those who are faithful to doing ministry. And Kelvin, my comment on youth ministry is here's what we do. Here's our program. We teach them the Bible verse by verse. We're having sort of a mini revival in our junior high school and high school uh, ministries here. Uh, we have a, a junior high and a high school Bible study on Monday nights. Now, we've got Sundays and, and Fridays, of course. But, but on Monday nights, um, they come with their parents. And um, when we were in the summer break and the, the adult ministries were taking a break, our junior highers and high schoolers didn't want to stop. They want to be here. They want to hear the word taught. And all we do is we teach them verse by verse. Now, Kelvin, we go verse by verse all the way down to our children's ministries. They get taught the Bible. That's why so many of them get it. Because it's just the Bible. So I detest programs. We don't have to capitulate to the culture. Declare the word of God and let the Holy Spirit of God do the rest. Kelvin, thanks for the question. Hey, good program today. Thanks for your phone calls and questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.